Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Realcom Live. Uh, so good to be here. And we have got yet another exciting show this week. We're going to go back a little bit. Uh, it was just about a year ago that uh, we were midway into the pandemic, and everybody was trying to figure out when we're going back to work, who's going back to work, what's this thing called hybrid. So we called on some of our smartest friends at Gensler. Gensler, 5,500 employees globally, 50 offices, considered, if not the top, one of the top architectural design firms in the world. You look at a cool, interesting project anywhere on the planet, and Gensler's got its names attached to it. So we had both Ben Trinnell, who is the regional leader in mixed-use practice, and Hans Nubert, the global practice leader for digital experience design. We had them on on different episodes. So what we figured we were going to do today is bring them both back almost a year later and see what the heck is going on in the return to office and what we can expect the office of the future to look like in 2022. So with that, let's bring on our two guests. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, hey, Jim. How are hey. you? Good. Good to see you. So before we get started, why don't you give the audience a little overview of what each of you do? And we'll start with you. Yes, good morning. Thanks for having us back, uh, Jim. So I'm a principal in our San Francisco office. I lead our mixed-use practice uh, regionally here, as well as large projects around the world for the firm. And uh, I'm a principal here in the New York office, and I lead a global team of uh, strategists, uh, designers, and creative technologists to work with clients and architects to uh, basically weave technology and innovation into their projects. I don't, I don't think I can hear you, Jim. All right. Interesting is we've got the real estate design side with Ben and then the, okay. Um, Howard, why don't you come on in and uh, take over the conversation? I'll see if I can get my issues taken care of. I think, uh, thanks. So Jim is having a little bit of an audio problem there. Um, so I think what we were, uh, Jim was going to lead kind of with a question of, you know, we've, you know, you know, a lot's been going on over the last 12 months, uh, slowly coming out of the pandemic. What do you guys see that's changed, uh, the, the major changes in, in terms of, you know, occupancy and planning for occupancy uh, over the last 12 months? Maybe start with Ben. Yeah, uh, thanks, Howard. And uh, hopefully we'll have Jim back soon in a minute. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to think back. It's almost exactly two years ago to the day since the first shelter in place order was issued here in San Francisco, um, you know, uh, by the mayor. Um, and it, we all thought this would take a few weeks when it first started. Uh, and we thought things would go back to normal fairly quickly. Uh, and we realized this is one of those disruptions that there is no going back to the way things were. Uh, there's acceleration of trends and uh, moving forward to new ways of working. Uh, one of the really macro things that we've seen is that this uh, disruption has caused people everywhere to rethink their, their lives and their priorities. We see there's a combination of the great resignation, as people are calling it, uh, where people are you know, rethinking their career paths, their jobs, what they do to find personal passion in their lives and how that aligns with the purpose of the company where they work. We can combine that idea with the question around the return to office. 
And it really comes to uh, one simple question, which is the why. Why do I do what I do? And what what is my why in life, right? And uh, who do I choose to spend time with and, you know, in person, right? And what are we doing? These are sort of the fundamental questions, like bedrock foundational questions that people are getting at. And it seems like just a simple thing of return to office, but I think what we're seeing is, uh, you know, it's wrapped up in these bigger, more existential questions, if you will, for people. Uh, and so what we're seeing is the, the, the need is that workplace needs to address not just questions of productivity or the bottom line for companies, it needs to really get at the why for people uh, and the individual motivation for people in being together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's become a lot more people-centric, something that a lot of organizations really had to pivot to and didn't really understand. Seems simple, but it's such a complex, uh, such a complex calculus now. Hey, Jim, welcome hey, guys. back. Yep. So, can you hear me okay? I'm sorry for the technical problems. The networks are misbehaving today. Yeah, yeah, we were, you know, we were, we were still just talking about um, what has changed. I, I don't know if you, if you, if you heard yep. that. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's really a function, Ben. You had mentioned, you know, it, it, this was supposed to last two weeks, right? And habits don't get changed in two weeks, um, but they do get changed in two years. Okay. Right. So, right. I'm going to throw the question out to both of you. We'll start with Hans. Um, does it ever get back to the way it was in 2020? you know, five day work weeks. I mean, what is it gonna look like when we really come out of this? Are we going back to the same or is it gonna be significantly different? Yeah, yeah, like Ben just said, I think it's really important to know that um, I think people have fundamentally uh, put, you know, purpose in question for not just their lives, but really for why would they be in the office? Who should they work for? And um, I think that we see in in the changes that we, um, you know, experience right now with people leaving their jobs. So uh, for, I, I don't think that there's really just one answer. I think that it is also different for every category, business culture, and pro possibly for every individual. So um, at the core, I think that um, we, we we see the definition um, of this more as an ecosystematic definition or, or change, right? So we're, we're now don't foresee it going back, but we're foreseeing it um, evolving in a, in a good way, right? So the, the bits and pieces have been there. We had the home, it was just at a different um, level and percentage. We have third place, right? We, many of us already worked on planes and cafes, but I think that the, the standards have risen. Uh, primary workplaces will continue, but like, like Ben said, um, they will be re-envisioned. Um, we're seeing a new mix of hospitality, wellness, and really general purpose in spaces change. And then there's alternative workplaces, you know. It used to be either you have an office or perhaps you go to a co-working place. We foresee that uh, this ecosystem will include potentially additional alternative co-working spaces for companies going forward. Before we get into the technology and what these offices might look like, urban areas have been hit pretty hard, right? And in the re in recent weeks, major organizations, New York, San Francisco, LA, have told their employees to get back into the office. You know, the pandemic is moving towards an endemic, we hope. But a lot of people aren't coming back, okay? Uh, and it's it's now no longer just the pandemic, as we're saying, it's, it's the other things. Peter Miskovich was on a few weeks ago and he said something to the effect that um, you better make the commute worth it. 
right? Because if I'm going to be on a, on a train or in a car for an hour to go to this place, okay? So now the scenario is the, the buildings have been underutilized significantly during the pandemic. And now these landlords are wondering if people are going to re-up leases, okay? So they're a little concerned with finances. Now we're saying it's time for you to invest in technology, right? To make these places experiential, connected. How does that happen when they're trying to figure out if people are coming back to the old office and, and now they have to invest in the new office? How does that happen? Good question. Well, perhaps I take this first. And um, so, I mean, how has it happened? I think we're approaching this question fundamentally as a user experience problem and as a user experience opportunity, so UX. And it can have different impact for different industries, of course, and understanding how technology will weave into a seamless user journey is really the goal in which we, by which we're actually um, uh, approaching it. Ben? Ben, you want to add to that? I would just add, yeah, I think the pandemic and the new ways we've learned to connect with each other uh, because of it uh, has rendered the notion of a conference room somewhat quaint. <laughs> uh, how we convene together to discuss and share ideas. It happens in all kinds of places. Um, and we need to rethink the design of convening spaces, connecting people, uh, so that we can more fluidly engage. And ideally, technology is as transparent in that process as possible. And by that, I mean, you're not aware of the technology. It's something that's just very transparently bringing people together. Exactly. Well, and, and let's 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 go micro for a second. You said something pretty interesting. The conference room, as we know it, um, you know, may be obsolete. You know, so you go into those meetings, you sit at the desk, you got your projector on the wall, your PowerPoint deck up, right? The people call in on the phone. Nobody pays any attention. They got to scream to get attention. They can't participate in the conversations. After. We know those stories over and over again, right? So, what exactly? does ubiquitous connectivity between the virtual world and the physical world mean? <laughs> Anybody want to? I think I got some ideas, but I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Go ahead, Hans. Well, I, I was going to say, like, um, so there, there were sort of two or three things woven in there, but specifically the ubiquitous connectivity for me is not just about um, Wi-Fi and technology. It's also how... Um, how we behave. It's a behavior-driven thing as well, because um, for for seamlessness to work, we have to sort of accept um, all the things that come with um, with the, with technologies that sort of enable that, including what we just experienced with you, Jim. You know, like you know, rather than going on, we're waiting for you, right? So I think it's really, really important that technology and when, when we talk about seamless connectivity, we don't just think about technology, but we also think about norms and behaviors that we adopt and that we actually, like good citizenry, right? Like that we actually believe in that and, and enforce it. I mean, self-enforce it, not making it into a rule book, but rather realize that we're going to be much better and much better off if we actually like respect each other in this context. And over time, there's no doubt in my mind that technology is going to get better and better. And it has been for the last 20 years as it relates to this specific use. Um, and so, you know, that that's that's kind of like where I would look at it. Well, and, and, and to actually, yeah, I mean, the connectivity problems I was having getting on is the exact example. And, you know, I remember early days that CEOs would 
be afraid to hit the PowerPoint button because they were afraid it was going to freeze. And in PS, sometimes it did freeze, right? But they literally had to have somebody click it because they were afraid if they touched it, right? So I, my communications became a problem. We've run into this over the last year. We've got backup plans. Howard comes in for me. We try to make it smooth. But the reality was if I couldn't come back, Howard would have kept going. And we have to assume technology is not going to be perfect. I mean, things fail a lot. Okay, but but what we have to do is build in the human backups, I think, you know, to say, okay, it's not always perfect, but it's better than maybe being on that plane for four hours or on that car for, you know, an hour each way. So we got a couple more minutes before we take a break. I want to start the dialogue about what does the new conference room look like? Okay. You know, and when and when you're going into an office and you're having a team meeting. Um, or you're out at the ranch at the new corporate, you know, Western <laughs> collaboration hub where you all go and experience a, you know, Western town for two weeks while you're fine tuning your new electric car project, right? What does it look like, feel like? Have you, now, Hans, with your title, are you getting into that? Like, what digital experiences does somebody have when they walk into a state of the art corporate headquarters? Oh yeah, that's um, that's a, a large part of what we do. We 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 do look um, what we also call digital master planning for our clients at really the ubiquitous presence of technology as part of the user journey, whether it's related to a building, to an office, or to an airport. Nice. In, in that same context, you know, when you when you kind of like zoom in on very specific uh, touch points, like a conference room, of course. Um, I, I, first of all, we always start with everything on the table, and um, in in the last two, maybe three years, we started to completely rethink conference facilities into much more creative hubs that are both more immersive, that um, actually use technology in a way that you would otherwise find more likely in a, um, in a universal Disney ride uh, that uh, considers, uh, that considers uh, mood, personalities, type of content, um, uh, time of day, even the quality of the air, all that is now being considered, and and it's all based um, on, on on simple human, uh, on better human understanding. That we know that you know fresh air obviously um, you know drives creativity. Uh, we know that you know certain certain light patterns are conducive to you know bringing people's mood up, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're starting to build that into conference rooms of the future. All right, all right. Um, let's take a, a break, and when we come back, what we're going to talk about is. Um, a little bit more on the technology. I want to talk about some immersive 3D uh, teleportation, holoportation type technologies. But then we're going to zero in on what some of Gensler's most innovative clients are doing. So we'll be right back and continue this great conversation. We're at a beginning, a new start, at home, at work. The way we think about places, about spaces, about where and how we work has changed forever. With many continuing to work remotely and many others planning a return, it's more important than ever that we know how the spaces we occupy can be used, how they should be used. Density can help. Our secure sensor technology anonymously tracks how people use spaces. When they enter, when they exit, what they do when they're in a space. The result is accurate, actionable data that enables companies and organizations to better plan and manage how their spaces are used in real time. To conserve energy and resources, to improve workplace experience, 
to keep people safe. We can make spaces better. We can make the world better together. All right, let's bring back these guys and continue this great conversation. All right, so let's hone in on the technology a little bit more. So 20 years ago at Realcom, we teleported somebody from London, England into our general session stage. And when we did, and I introduced him, the audience gasped because it was like something straight out of Star Trek. And he talked for 15 minutes and he looked more alive, had more color. I was standing 20 feet away from him at the other podium. Fast forward 20 years, we did an episode a couple of weeks ago with iPortal, kind of the new generation of that. So we're starting to see all these new types of new technologies that will allow people to be in two places in a more three-dimensional. And then the second part of the question is going to be the metaverse. But what are you guys seeing as far as people starting to play around with experiment with something that goes beyond what we're doing right now, which is, you know, four heads on a screen? Hans, you want to take a stab first? Yeah, um, I, I think um, I see it. What well, we see it right now a lot in um, larger scale, city level, um, district level, and mixed use level, well, office level, uh, or campus level, I should have said, um, a planning, where the question basically is exactly what you're saying like, what are the alternative uh, technologies and ways to meet and interact, right? And so, Naturally, holography is one aspect, um, and uh, we have now created probably like uh, I, I would say north of thirty to forty different user scenarios that basically are starting. We're starting to explore what that we're starting to explore, iterate, and play with to see whether or not they're actually going to stick. I say that because you know your question can be. It's not, it's not a binary answer to say like here it is and this is where it's working because it's still a technology that for a large part is both expensive and uh, and, and so new that it doesn't have broad enough um, application that we could look at user experience data and and and, and really like user data in general to say this is what works this is what doesn't so a lot of it is still speculative um, right. but the interest is there and I feel the opportunity especially in entertainment is huge uh, conferencing is huge. Um, and those are two of the areas that, um, that we see a lot of movement right now. So, Ben, let's pivot over to you. Uh, in recent months, I'm hearing coming out of the Fortune 50-ish type companies, uh, CMO, and that's not chief marketing officer, that's chief mm-hmm. metaverse officer. Okay. You know, and, and, and believe me, I have sometimes a little trouble wrapping my head around the metaverse. Although we all, some people had trouble wrapping their head around the Internet. I mean, Bill Gates, I think, had a little trouble believing that that was going to take hold. So understanding that just because we don't fully know what it is today doesn't mean it's not going to really happen. What are you hearing about the metaverse? How serious are your clients taking it? And where do you think physical space and the metaverse really meet? That's a great question. Um, I think it's definitely out there on the cutting edge. Um, we all occupy different realms, uh, different spheres of our lives, right? If we think about different communities to which we belong as one way to think about this. So it's, I think, possible to think about the metaverse as another form of community in which we might engage. Um, and there are some really interesting ideas about overlapping 
physical, the, the way we interact in physical environments with the metaverse environment. Uh, so the notion that, for example, uh, you see it behind me, somebody can walk by and see Ben is in a conference room meeting with Hans, for example. Uh, but you could also do an extension of that in the metaverse. Uh, there's some really exciting ideas of creating visibility of people collaborating virtually. Yep. That's that's very pragmatic. I have a really, just as an aside, I'm a really interesting fascination with this, and I, I'm not sure any practical application yet. Uh, but if you think about um, in a metaverse, we don't have egress codes. We don't even have gravity. So we could design spaces that are like the hanging mountains, um, you know, the floating mountains in the sky, right? Um, well, and I honestly believe it's really interesting that we have the two of you. You're Ben, you're more on the physical side, and Hans, you're more on the digital side. I mean, I believe you guys are going to collaborate on every project in this capacity because I just see the metaverse as Internet 5.0 or 6.0. And it's just going to be more three-dimensional. And it's either you're going to be wearing goggles or cool glasses or the immersive screens that we're going to start seeing, big ones in offices or retail outlets, are going to basically allow us to combine the two, right? And if there's any firm that's going to be able to figure out, it's going to be Gensler. I, 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 was, I was going to say, maybe if I may, I would add one thought on that. And that is that with every new and emerging technology that really holds on strong, Eventually, there has to be a prototype that sort of works. And we're in a, in a place right now where we have a great example of success that is the gaming industry. So with yeah, Fortnite right. and the combination of hardware and software investments, and frankly, also with Hollywood storytelling um, ability that has sort of educated us even so 10 years ahead, um, we're now looking at, well, where is this going to grow to? And so people have a place that they can start from to imagine where metaphors might go. But yeah. I think it's important, and that's important for me, is that we fundamentally still have to approach this as a user experience problem, right? We yes. cannot put the technology first. We have to ask ourselves, what is the market? What are the latent needs and desires we're actually solving for? Not looking for an, for an answer or not looking to solve a problem just because we, 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 we you know. Right, right. And, and, if we, and if it does get, and a lot of this is gonna have to deal with cost justification as well as like, can we afford it? Like I mentioned earlier, but if you can really bring somebody into a conference room or some new digital meeting room three-dimensionally as if they're in the room, and even if that co that technology costs $100,000, $200,000, you know, five trips from Tokyo, 10 from Dubai, three from London, you know, it pretty it adds up pretty quick to be able to, and, and we're all PS trying to make the world a little bit less, you know, carbon, um, you know, dense. Yeah. Um, I, I think that it, that is also going to push this a little faster. All right, yeah. we're going to run out of time, so I want to get one more quick question. Ben, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and then Hans will follow. What are some of the most innovative things your top clients are doing? Yeah, uh, our top clients are thinking about how it goes back to that fundamental question of how do we bring people together to connect with each other? And you know, I, I say if you've only uh, met somebody over Zoom, it's like saying you visited a city when you really only connected in the airport. You really have to come together in person and then the digital tools are an extension of that in-person mm -hmm. knowing one another. Right. Uh, so our top clients are focused on how we bring these together as additive and layered solutions. Our top um, clients, oh, sorry, I figured. <laughs> our top clients, I think they're rethinking the entire stack um, in, in, in their real estate uh, product and, or, or portfolio. And, and what I'm excited about is that 
more and more developers and clients are rethinking real estate in the way that they will approach it the way they would do um, a product development. Um, so for me, place place as product or place as platform is sort of how I think now about it. And our many of our most successful clients are starting to think about it, not just what is the next five years, what is the monolith that I'm creating and it's going to stay there for however many years, but really how can I create an agile platform that keeps changing? Um, the last two years have proven that and we consider that the next 10 years will continue just the same way. Yeah, well, and there's not too many people in the design field that would get it, but I've worked with you guys for almost 25 years. David Gensler and I used to sit in his office in LA and debate PS, the exact same conversation we're having now. So this this is a long journey. When does the day come when every architect design person includes an LED panel as a texture to consider for the building? In other words, brick, wallpaper, paint, LED tile. Okay, because that LED tile can be pretty flexible, be integrated into beautiful design, but can act as a fifth wall, if you will, right? Or, or a digital fourth wall where you can take the rest of the world and bring it to any space. Oh, and PS, when you're done with it, you can click a button and it'll look like a brick wall, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, well, hopefully, hopefully not too soon, but there are, I, will, I will say that new products will actually are brick walls with LEDs in it, which is more exciting because you actually have real product, real material. I think a world where we are surrounded by LEDs is probably not super desirable, but I do believe technology we've woven in with much uh, with, with a much greater variety of, of, of material finishes. That's really what we're working on right now. And totally, totally agree. And, and if you look at somebody who's got good design, yeah. And then you compare it to the Las Vegas Strip. That is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I know. We're we're in sync there. But but if you use it correctly and integrate it into the design, and you have the best of both worlds, the physical attribute as well as the flexibility that the digital world offers, that's the combination I think firms like Gensler are going to be able to achieve. Yeah. And and one a little tease. Um, we are working hard to bring what we think this might look like to our conference in June. I am on the call on the calls more than I care to admit on what we're planning for our opening session and for Realcom Live and for our own immersive experience. And I got to tell you, it's pretty exciting. So hopefully we see you guys there and, and maybe you can help give us some input. Maybe we'll bring you in you know, ahead of the conference and show you what we're doing. And then you can add your design ideas to it because sometimes you have to see it. And you know we're not there by any stretch, but we keep swinging the bat trying to figure out what it might look like. So. Great. Guys, New York City, San Francisco, um, thank you for taking the time. Um, it is always a pleasure. And, uh, and and I don't think these conversations are going to stop anytime soon. Thank you, Jim. Yes, have a good day. Be well. Take care. All right, Howard. Well, thank you again for um, uh, coming in. You know, one week it's a mic problem. The next week it's a network problem. But uh, it is what it is. The show yeah. must go on. Yeah. The show we, must go on. We get through it. We do. Um, so let me get out of your hair, do the news. And then when we come back, uh, there are a couple of news items I want to chat with you about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks, Jim. And Ben, Hans, uh, I thought that was a, a great show, a really important conversation. It actually spurred some new thinking uh, along some ideas uh, that we may want to incorporate into the conference. A very important conversation. Thank you guys again for, uh, for being on. So onto the news, I'm gonna highlight a couple of key articles from our weekly briefing that goes out every Thursday morning. And the first uh, is, is really a summary of last week's Realcom Live show uh, that was on 5G. 
So 5G's grabbed worldwide, atten worldwide attention with the promise of connecting virtually everyone and everything together at high speed and low latency. But is it really delivering on the promise? Um, and what if you're indoors? What are the implications for in-building? Um, is it even marginally faster than good old 4G indoors? Uh, and that raises the question, how will CDRS work into your in-building wireless strategy? So to answer those key questions, uh, last week we met with two technology execs from New York's largest building owners. We had Vornado's uh, Nick Stello, who's the SVP of IT infrastructure and related to Joe Rich, um, SVP and CIO of related to discuss these questions and address exactly what building owners really need to know about the current state of 5G and what that means to their portfolios. This is an important, no BS conversation and I encourage you all to link to the, uh, to the video replay in that first story. Um, next, uh, some great insights on how Singapore is leveraging data in their first smart district. Now, Singapore is the world's smartest city for the third year, according to IMD Smart City Index. And the Pungal Digital District, um, PDD, uh, is opening in 2024. It's going to be the first digital district in Singapore with a menu of interconnected digital tools and smart technologies that are all gonna be connected via what they call the Open Digital Platform or the ODP, their digital backbone for the district. Uh, and this is gonna integrate real-time data from sensors and systems to manage buildings from headcount sensors, energy consumption data to electrical grids to applying AI to manage elevators, lighting, environmental comfort. It'll even control autonomous robots for cleaning, security, and delivery. And uh, Pungal is planning to open up access to its digital twin so tech firms can link into it and trial new products and processes before implementing them in real life. It'll become a virtual living lab for experimentation and innovation. Uh, data has become Singapore's fast track to becoming the smartest city in the world. And I, I, I just put out there, I hope they'll manage it responsibly and the privacy will be of the utmost concern. But let's keep an eye on Singapore and maybe learn a few lessons that we can bring to the U.S. Um, now, uh, I got two quick announcements on the people front this week. First, a quick shout out to Tom Byrne and our Realcom partner, Rob Kane, who just been added to DealPath's executive team. Now, coming off their best year yet, DealPath, which is founded in 2014, is entering a, a very aggressive growth phase. They're looking to double their 90-employee headcount. So formal general manager of Marketplaces and Market at VTS, as well as the former president and COO of LoopNet, Tom Byrne, joined DealPath as executive director and member of the board of directors. Now, prior to joining DealPath, Rob Kane was vice president of product design at CoStar and one of the founding partners of Realcom. Here. He joins DealPath as senior vice president of product. Congratulations, Tom and Rob. Finally, <laughs> uh, we've heard about this. Uh, it's, it's official. Howard Hughes Corporation announced Wednesday that Jesse Carrillo, one of our honored Realcom advisors and currently advisory council co-chair for Realcom and all around great human being, was appointed chief innovation officer effective this past Wednesday. Now, Jesse is going to be overseeing the strategy and operation of the company's innovation and technology platforms across Howard Hughes Corporation's national portfolio of large-scale master plan communities and mixed-use properties. I happen to live in one of their master plan communities, Summerlin, outside Las Vegas, and I got it, it is one of the best designed and managed in the country. Uh, since 1994, Jesse's been in various technology roles at Heinz, 
uh, becoming CTO in 2007, and then their CIO in 2009. And we all wish Jesse heartfelt congratulations on this next chapter of a very rich life. Um, that's yeah. it for me today, guys. Uh, well, thank you all for watching. So, I mean, talk about picking some good news stories. I'm going to give you a five-second comment on, comment on each story. Uh, 5G, watch that episode. If you're a building owner, operator, user, tenant, I don't care who, and you're trying to figure out how 5G inside buildings is going to work, you got to listen to two really smart guys out of Manhattan uh, and, and hear their advice and insight. Uh, second story, Singapore, smartest city, top three in the world. I've been there, one of my favorite cities. Um, things I've seen and done in Singapore, I've still not seen and done in the United States. So if you want to see the future, Singapore is a great place. Uh, Tom and, and uh, Rob, um, two great guys, just great humans. But Rob and I go back 25 years. Howard, you were there. I mean, uh, not only did we start Realcom, but uh, a little, that little company called RE Apps, first cloud-based enterprise platform for the real estate industry when nobody even knew what a cloud was. Uh, so, you know, visionaries, hardworking people, uh, great guys. And then uh, last but not least, Jesse, nobody like him. He's 1% uh, of the 1%. One more time. One and, more time. Uh, Howard Hughes is lucky to have him. And I'm, I'm sure Heinz feels a little of the pain, but they've had a great career together. So yep. good, good job. Oh, thanks. Cool. All right. Um, be well, and I'll see you next week. Um, all right. So before we wrap, let's hear from our final sponsor, and I'll give you a little insight on what we're doing next week. From commercial offices and healthcare facilities to retail spaces, our innovative turnkey digital display products will transform your space into an engaging, interactive experience. Enjoy future-forward solutions for your industry, including surface and recessed wall-mounted directories, outdoor and indoor freestanding interactive digital kiosks, elevator displays with entertaining content, multi-screen video walls, digital signage, and custom designs for wayfinding, directories, and kiosks. TouchSource, offering simple solutions for smart spaces. All right. So I said to Howard, I'll see you next week. Actually, we won't see Howard next week uh, doing the news because Howard's going to take a little break and is going to be participating. I don't know if he wants me to say this, but I'm going to. Um, he's going to be participating kind of in a, a, a music workshop with some of his friends. Uh, I think he's got up to about 12 guys that they get together and they jam and they learn from some really experts. And I said, uh, go have a great time. Enjoy. But on one condition, you got to bring us a video. And, and I'm going to shame him into this. He agreed uh, that we're going to get 30 to 45 seconds of him jamming with his friends. And we're going to show it on next week's news, hopefully. Uh, and uh, next week, great, great show. We're going to take you on a little trip across the pond. Uh, we're going to go over to the United Kingdom and talk to two of our favorite uh, folks over there to tell us what the heck is going on in the UK as it relates to technology, real estate, back to work, um, COVID, you know, everybody around the world is dealing with a little bit different. So we got Andrew Waller from Remit, longtime Realcom friend, and James McHale from Amori, who I actually met because I met his dad 25 years ago, I think, uh, in London. Uh, two really smart guys in real estate tech, and we're glad to have them. And uh, we're going to give you some insight as what the heck is going on on the other side of the planet. So with that, everybody have a great day, great weekend, and we will see you next Friday on Realcom Live. Be well.